Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. And I am on and off the road here, signing books at the NFR. Lots of great people. I'm going to tell you more about that next week because I get to talk to lots of people and get lots of opinions and, should we say, feelings about what's going on around the United States, particularly this crowd because they are from all over the planet. Kind of cool. Today, we have lots to cover. Number one, we're going to do the first of kind of a two-mini-part series, and that is what the United States, the Western powers, and now we'll call it the BRICS nations, the Eastern powers, are doing to destabilize the Middle East and have done on a historical basis to further their own power interests and to promote, shall we say, uh, not only their influence, but the flow of money, you know, for the sale of arms in the military-industrial complex, just as all these governments do, with very few exceptions, to divide their populations by age, by gender, by income, by social status, by possessions, by property ownership, by region, you name it, by religion, because that keeps them in power, divide and conquer. So, too... Do all these countries do it on a much grander scale in the Middle East region and, for that matter, throughout the world? So today we're going to go over kind of the backdrop on all of this so that you get the big picture. And next week I'm going to tell you about the specific instances going back, oh, 70 or 80 years. (laughs) And no country, none of the big powers is immune to uh, the criticism I'm going to level because they are all in it for their own benefit. To hell with the Israelis, to hell with the Palestinians, to hell with the Arabs, to hell with the displaced persons, starving persons, and immigration. In fact, in the case of Obama, and now in his third term, the instigation of massive out-migration from the Middle East and the spread of Islam throughout the Western world, based on humanitarian needs, you know, you know, the old guys, the cloak of what the real agenda is, has been quite purposeful and intentional. Kill a bunch of birds with one stone. And next week we'll get into some of the sordid particulars, if you will. And then I'm going to bring you the next installment of personal financial preparation. And today we're going to talk about the land portion of real estate, what you need to be looking for. And most importantly, I can't underline this enough. I can't highlight this enough. Where you buy your property. That makes all the difference depending upon, of course, what your goals are. If they are safety, security, dealing with like minds, being in areas of fiscal stability, it is absolutely 100% critical. So let's start off with our founder's quote in the rat-a-tat-tat. And by the way, I've been storing stuff up. We have a bunch of eye-opening COVID stuff, COVID litigation stuff that's just busting out all over the planet. Huge lawsuits. I mean, big pharma and many governments are in big trouble, as they should be for their 
various subterfuges, improper fear-mongering, and illegal mandates. But in the rat-a-tat-tat, I'm going to tell you about a new bill which was just introduced in Congress. Oh, this is the mother of all gun control bills. And along those lines, let me give you two quotes from Patrick Henry, our founder, which I think is apropos to this entire show, in fact, but particularly to what Congress is trying to accomplish and to the penchant, if you will, of governments to divide their people and to divide other countries and groups within other countries to further their own ends and maintain their power. Quote number one, guard with jealous attention the public liberty. Suspect everyone who approaches that jewel. Unfortunately, nothing will preserve it but downright force. Whenever you give up that force, you are inevitably ruined. Unquote. Patrick Henry. And here's his second one. Quote, are we at last brought to such humiliating and debasing degradation that we cannot be trusted with arms for our defense? Where is the difference between having our arms in possession and under our direction, and having them under the management of Congress? If our defense be the real object of having those arms, in whose hands can they be trusted with more propriety or equal safety to us as in our own hands? Unquote. Oh, yes. And now our rant story. It's going to be short, but you'll get the point. I think you'll probably chuckle. So we finally got the foundation, if you will, this long concrete wall that's going to support the stands for the solar panels poured and it went rather smoothly and we had we thought all the details covered you know how the trucks got in and minimum damage to the fields and all sorts of other stuff well the crew left and it seems that we checked all the gates to make sure they were closed so the cows and the horses couldn't mingle and do whatever cows and horses do when they mingle. But we forgot that we had taken three rails down on the fence which surrounds kind of the backyard, which is not extensive, of the ranch house. And we keep critters out of there because they, shall we say, tend to despoil <laughs> the backyard. In the front yard, they're allowed to munch all they want. We kind of hay that in our annual lawn cutting, quote unquote. But it seems that when we finally remembered, oh, wait a minute, we took the rails of this fence down and ah, we can't remember. Did we tell those concrete guys to put those back up when we went out and checked? Guess what? Nope, we didn't tell them to put them back up. And guess what was in the backyard and leaving, shall we say, telltale horse patties on the back patio. Oh, yes. 22 horses. That was just great. So the moral of this story is pay attention to the details. <laughs> Because no matter how grand the plan is, the devil is in the details. And we have all heard that one, and it is so true. Let's talk a little bit about, in general, foreign policy as it relates to the Middle East of both the Western nations and we'll call it the Eastern nations, the opposing powers in the world. Foreign policy is general objectives that guide the activities and the relationships of one state in its interactions with other states. The development of foreign policy is influenced by domestic considerations, the policies or behavior of other states, or plans to advance specific geopolitical designs. That, by the way, is right out of the State Department of the United States of America. So that you know, U.S. foreign policy, folks, is crafted principally in the executive branch, which, of course, is now Obama's third term. Listen to my series on Obama's third term going back a few weeks ago on the RightSideRadio.com. It is orchestrated and it's implemented at the cabinet level, particularly the secretaries of state and defense. And underneath them, the U.S. Foreign Services under the State Department, which trains and employs all the diplomats who are posted at all the U.S. diplomatic missions 
and consulates and embassies around the world. And of course, if you have, shall we say, certain ideologies and certain prejudices within the administration, that filters down to all their appointees, right? It's the insidious tentacles of the administration ideology sifting out into the agencies through their appointees. It is basically the construction of the deep state on a foreign policy level. Now, supposedly, lawmakers, you know, the House and the Senate, are supposed to play important roles in foreign policy. And they are actually constitutionally mandated to for, for responsibilities under foreign affairs. Now, the extent to which they exercise that mandate and do a good job, I will leave up to you. Over the past few decades, the Middle East obviously has been in upheaval. There's been uprisings across that region, many of them orchestrated, by the way, by various intelligence services of both the East and the West. Long-term dictators have been toppled. Numerous democratic, quote-unquote, governments have been, shall we say, subverted and taken over by Islamist ideology. Thank you, Mr. Obama. There's been multiple civil wars. And all these things kind of have a, they have a reverse, they have a boomerang effect, because it leaves the leaders in these Mideast countries who have not been toppled even more jealous, even more protective, and even more restrictive in their bent to keep their power. Which, of course, is another kind of tangent played on by the Western and the Eastern powers for their own benefit. There's been all sorts of shifting alliances or active military engagements. The U.S., you know, has been involved in the war in Syria, the civil war in Yemen, the Arab-Israeli conflict, the conflict between Hezbollah and Israel, which is really Iran and Israel. The conflict with the Taliban, which had a rather disastrous ending under uh, Joe Biden, Obama's third term. Obviously, building tensions with Iran, going all the way back to Jimmy Carter's days. Disagreements with Saudi Arabia and ISIS, to name just a few. Right now, there's a roughly 60 to 80,000 U.S. troops in the Middle East. Mostly, they are quartered in Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and to a much lesser extent now, Iraq. There were about 150,000 based there during the Bush and the early Barry Obama administrations. The troop levels are building up, as you know, as are the naval forces and air forces and missile forces of both the East and the West and all the, should we say, more minor players in that bubbling cauldron of distrust, hate, and conflict. These numbers are actually higher now, but as of a year or two ago, and this does not count the displacement of the Gazans in the current Hamas-Israeli conflict, but just the civil wars in Yemen and Syria. At the end of 2020, 18,400 civilian deaths, that's now like quintupled, folks. 9.3 million Syrians are food insecure. More than 8 million people have been displaced. There's been more than 6 million, give or take, refugees from that area, mostly Islamists, that have fled to Europe and other countries. All of this, by the way, pampered and kind of feathered and kind of patted on the back by Western policies and exacerbated by the policies of Russia and China, who like the destabilization just as much as, quote unquote, our side does, because it allows them to maintain, expand, and keep power and rival the West, or in the case of the West, rival the East. The U.S. spent they say $840 billion in the war in Afghanistan. It's closer to a trillion. Of the roughly $6 billion in U.S. global foreign military financing in 2019, it's getting more and more difficult to get figures about this, 80% went to Israel, Egypt, and Jordan. And the Middle East, this is an interesting fact, 
Even counting Ukraine, the Middle East receives more than 50% of all U.S. global military aid. In fact, between 2013 and 2017, half of U.S. arms exports went to the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is a big buyer of arms from the United States, which is really the military-industrial complex, which fosters, promotes, and keeps the deep state in place. The U.S., as you probably know, is Israel's single largest trading partner, and primarily in semiconductors and telecommunications equipment. You know, more strategic interests. Now, all this is done under the guise, at least on the part of the West, and to a lesser extent on the part of the Eastern nations, of the promotion of respect for human rights. <laughs> okay, little hypocrisy there, as embodied in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And, of course, the spread of democracy, quote-unquote, throughout the world, so long as that democracy is installed by you and caters to you. And that doesn't matter whether you are Eastern or Western country. And the control goes back to specific things, all the way back to, as I told you in my previous two shows, part of this series, the Middle East, to the history of the Arabs and the Palestinians and the history of Israel. Listen to those shows on therightsideradio.com. When the Ottoman Empire fell after World War I, the West eagerly, with a little bit of pushback from the East, but they didn't have the power then, carved up the Middle East. You know, to the victor goes the spoils. They arbitrarily drew national lines, created countries, you know, kind of like Iraq, and said, okay, France, you take this, Britain, you take this, Germany, you take this, America, you take this, etc., 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 carving up the spoils. And, of course, these were all done indiscriminately and for the benefit of the Western powers, not for the people of the region, or not with a long-term view toward political stability and avoidance of future conflict, all of which is coming home to roost. And of course, exacerbating this has been Jimmy Carter's weak stance toward Iran and Obama's intentional support of Iran to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars, and looking the other way on nuclear development and looking the other way on the so-called sanctions, which supposedly have been leveled on Iran. And as we're going to discuss a little bit, or as we discussed in last week's Rat-a-tat-tat, looking the other way when Iranian proxies attack U.S. warships. The State Department says, quote, the development of foreign policies influenced by domestic considerations, you mean politics and money, the policies of behavior of other states or plans to advance specific geopolitical designs. Well, there's an admission for you. Diplomacy is the tool of foreign policy and war, alliances and international trade may all be manifestations of it, unquote. Well, This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee. 
whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Are you a fan of the 1883 miniseries? Then you will love its partial inspiration, Threads West, an American saga. The number one national Amazon and Barnes & Noble best-selling multi-generational epic saga of the American story in the West. Recipient of a whopping 37 national awards, including Best Historical Fiction, Best Multicultural Fiction, Best Fiction Series, Best Romance, and Best Western. You will recognize the characters that live in these pages. They are you. They are us. This is not only their story, it is our story. Threads West is written by Wyoming rancher Reed Lance Rosenthal. Lois Henderson, Chief AD Library Information Services, proclaims fluent and strong, sensual, evocative, and unforgettable. Compared to McMurtry's Pulitzer Prize-winning Lonesome Dove and Michener's Centennial, Rosenthal's epic masterpiece will rival even some of Louis L'Amour's best-loved work, called The Gone with the Wind of the West and Sackets on Steroids. Get it now. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Kindle, Nook, Audible, or the publisher, ThreadsWestSeries.com. You know what? Next week, we're going to talk in detail about the quote-unquote manifestations. All the little tricks that all the great powers have played over there to the detriment of the Mideast population, and the result being the current and ongoing over the last, well, 70 years, increasing bubble of tensions and conflict in the area. All of which, by the way, puts our national security at risk, takes money out of our collective taxpayer dollars, puts us at risk here on the homeland through terror and the threat of terror, which the FBI director, oh, gee, where, where has he been as 10 million people have flooded across the southern border? Which the FBI director now says is his deepest concern, the worst he's ever seen, coming from every tangent in recent testimony. Well, you know, the way you don't have terror is you don't let terrorists in the country. This is kind of elementary. And you don't foster policies overseas, which creates a terrorist mindset. But, hey, I'm just a hayseed from Wyoming. Next week, however, we'll discuss the specific things which are in contravention of what would seem to be those common sense, reasonable goals. You know, kind of like the rant story, the devil is in the details. Now let's focus on the next installment of our personal financial preparedness series that we're doing for you. We're going to look at land today. First of all, in the overall context of real estate, and we're going to talk about residential real estate over the course of this series, land is the most important thing. Under all lies the land. And there's all sorts of different types of land, different sizes of land, and different locations of land. Today we're going to focus on location of land. You know, it does you no good to find the most beautiful little spot, five acres, one acre, 20 acres, 40, it doesn't matter. If, number one, the neighborhood around the ground is, uh, shall we say, less than perfect, how's that? If someone can put a pink trailer on your property line that you might be able to see from the new home that you build or the existing home that's there. And there's all sorts of things that go into land, land value, and long-term land value. By long-term land value, I mean the ability of land to hold its value and to fulfill a need for you. In other words, to 
as much as possible make you self-sufficient. In the overall real estate market around the United States, and I've been bringing you stats, economic stats, you're going to see a huge downturn in residential real estate. There's just no two ways about it, and there's no way around it. Generally, land, particularly well-located land with certain amenities and features, which we're going to talk about more next week, is going to hold its value, although it will be subject to fluctuation. Every single piece of property of any type in any market always is better than virtually any other type of real estate. And rural lands have always been popular, but starting with the scamdemic in 2020, have grown even more popular. So let's talk about where this piece of land, this magical piece of land that calls to you, that has all the other attributes, the neighborhood, we'll call it, the community, etc., that calls to your soul. It does you no good. I want to really underline this. It does you no good if you buy it in the wrong geographical or political location. In fact, it can sink your personal safety financial and preparedness ship. First of all, one of the things you need to learn about land is what are the politics of the area that you're buying in? The county, the city, or the little municipality, the township, and the state. Who is the sheriff? What does he believe? This is a key guy in local government, and he's an elected official. Whoever is elected will tell you much about the thinking of the area. The same is true, but to a slightly lesser extent, of the county commissioners, and of course of the town council and the town mayor. And very true about the state. Look carefully at the state government. What is the political sway, if you will, of the executive branch of the state, the governor and all his agencies, etc.? What is the split in the legislature? Left versus right, conservative versus progressive, Democrat versus Republican. And what are the trends? This is really important. You can't look at these things in a microcosm. What are the trends over the last four or five election cycles? Is it getting redder, bluer, or staying about the same? What is the fiscal stability of the area? Are the local governments and the state government running at a surplus, or are they running at a deficit? Remember that the only source of revenue that a government has, whether it's local, state, or federal, is your pocket and your property. Is this area going to be indulging in any special projects, special improvements? You know, are they going to spend $20 million on a fleet of electric buses or to build a second rec center or town center? All of these costs will eventually filter to you as a resident of the area. What are the property taxes? And I don't mean just the property taxes this year. What is the trend of property taxes over the last 10 years? What's the makeup of the school board? Take a look at their decisions on curriculum, teaching, school system administration over the past three or four years. You don't need to go back that far. You need to know what the current school board, what have their key decisions been? What is the trend in how they vote and how they think? The economics of the area. Now, that may be less important if you're going to be pretty much self-sufficient, if you're retired, etc. But still, it will give you a feel for the area and its stability. Because when things don't go well financially, areas tend to get unstable. What's the unemployment rate? What's the trend been on it? What's the median wage? Who are the major employers? And I'm not talking about some big high-tech firm in some suburb of you know Austin. I'm talking about in these small rural communities. Very importantly, how has this area, the town, the county, the state, voted in at least the last three elections? What have the margins been between the candidates who won and the candidates who lost? Are they staying conservatively red and fiscally conservative? Or is there an element of liberalism, of progressivism, creeping into how they spend money, save money, and tax money 
take money from your pocket. What is the feelings of the area about the Second Amendment? I can't tell you how critical the right to keep and bear arms is, has always been, and perhaps in the future may be more so. Do you have a sheriff that supports concealed carry, open carry, who has refused to implement state or federal laws which violate the Constitution and the Second Amendment? That's a really good thing. The opposite is a really bad thing. What has this area done in terms of mandates? Has the state tried to mandate like the jabs or mass or lockdowns or social distancing? And I can go on down the list. Or is the state pretty much less safe fair? You get to do what you want. You get to choose who you are and you get to exercise your freedom of choice and common sense. Who are the health providers in the area? Are they fairly local or regional health providers that tend in most cases, not all, to be less woke, more oriented to patient care, less likely to bow at the waist and lick the boots of the corrupt CDC, FDA, and government agencies, or perhaps the corrupt agencies in the particular state government in which this piece of land is located. What's the population density of the area you're looking at? You really want to work toward a population density That is the number of people per square mile, as low as you can possibly get it. The more people there are, folks, the more problems are likely to arise if times get tough. You need a certain amount of people to form community, to coexist with, to be friends with, to rely on each other for various goods and services, particularly if times get tough, and for common defense. But generally, the more people that are involved in all those types of things, the more sideways it can go. Next week, we'll get into details on land and what you should look for, assuming it's located in, I'll call it a safe zone, an area like we've just been discussing. And that is research that you must do if this is going to work for you short and long term. And now let's start some rat-a-tat-tat. I'm going to start off with this ridiculous bill. It's just appalling. That has been introduced. Senate 3407 and House Resolution 6596. This is the kitchen sink of gun control bills. It's unbelievable, folks. It would create a national permit to buy a gun, establish a nationwide gun registry, institute a national red flag gun seizures law, ban virtually every semi-automatic rifle in America, make it a felony to buy high-capacity magazines, tax guns at 30% and ammo at 50%, Put you in jail for buying more than one gun a month. Force you to lock up all your firearms at all times. Criminalize the sale of firearms to adults under 21. I mean, you know, the hell with what the Supreme Court has ruled. Ban the sale of suppressors and make it a crime to build a firearm in your own home. I can go on but I think you get the gist. May I suggest that you get busy, you get on the horn, you start writing emails to your congressmen or your senators. I don't care if they're blue or red. They need to hear from you pronto. That is House Resolution 6596 and Senate Bill 3407. And now let's talk about some stuff which is, shall we say, conjuring out of the COVID cesspool. And then, of course, let's get into some health-related issues, shall we? And I have a lot to cover in this because things are blown wide open in all sorts of ways. So the WHO demanded that the Chinese government share detailed information, I'm sure with a wink and a nod, on this child respiratory illness that's sweeping across China. It's called white lung. Different people have different names. The Chinese are saying this is not a new virus. Don't worry. This is just kind of a common winter illness that's causing all these hospitalizations. 
And of course, some of the Western countries are using this already as a pretext to try and go the COVID draconian measure route. Like in the UK, but the UK is upside down. They're actually signaling that they're considering a return to mandates like forced masking. Wait till I get to one of the other rat-a-tat-tats here. I mean, there's just a study done. If you wear masks, you are more apt to get COVID, period. They did the study. And one of the high mucky mucks from the UK Health Security Agency, Professor Dame Jenny Harries, said, We need to keep an open mind about the cause of any increased reporting of clusters of disease, including of this illness in Chinese children. By the way, she's been leading an effort to develop a vaccine for the next pandemic, folks, which she said would be caused by climate change, unquote. Did you know climate change is contagious? You know, if the person next to you incinerates in this climate change heat explosion, you'll probably incinerate too. And did you know that back in October of 22nd, this is kind of a deja vu. Remember Bill Gates and all the little war games that he and his globalist cohorts were playing in in 2019 about this mysterious pandemic that was probably going to (laughs) come? And then we got COVID. Well, in October 2022, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation co-hosted another pandemic simulation like the one that they did in 2019. This exercise was called catastrophic contagion. Wow, kind of sounds like the Andromeda strain. And Gates himself, woohoo, attended the simulation and also attending was senior public health officials from Senegal, Rwanda, Nigeria, Angola, Liberia, Singapore, India, and Germany. And the health war game, if you will, was this fictional pandemic set sometime in the future, which originated in a certain point of the globe. Hmm, where was that? Oh, China, and spread around the world. And unlike COVID-19, in which the main culprit, COVID, was not a threat to kids, this catastrophic contagion was lethal and targeted young people and kids specifically. And in January of this year, Gates, our good buddy who really loves humanity, thinks there should be more of us, you know. Gates warned that a new pandemic is afoot. Oh, yes, like Christmas Eve. And it may be man-made. Oh, imagine that. Quote, and far more brutal. Unquote. Imagine that. And he blamed what he now calls, he goes back and forth on this, whatever the political winds are. He called the quote-unquote failed response to COVID-19 in part on a quote, particularly dangerous form of populism, whose connection to U.S. healthcare is a bit concerning. In other words, you know, folks who didn't want to take that experimental, safe and effective jab, etc., etc., And he actually went so far at this deal to praise the rather authoritarian responses of Australia and China to COVID-19. Then there's another guy. He's an author. He's a neuroscientist, Sam Harris. This will give you an idea of the mindset on the other side, folks. He thinks it's important that the next pandemic specifically target children. And Hamas said society was, quote-unquote, unlucky that the coronavirus didn't target children because child victims would eliminate, quote-unquote, vaccine skepticism. Let me give you a quote because it's almost unbelievable. Quote, I mean, just think about, leave COVID exactly as it is, but just make it preferentially dangerous to children rather than to old people, right? You just flip that around, the variable of age. If kids were dying by the hundreds of thousands from COVID at a rate of whatever it was, you know, the 
1%, say, but it was pretty much all kids, we would have had a very different experience, right? And the patients, there would have been no effing patients for vaccine skepticism, right? And everyone would have recognized that this is, quote, not my body, my choice, unquote. This is, quote, you're going to kill my kids with your ignorance, unquote, right? So, folks, that's the mindset that we're up against. However, I have good news in the rat-a-tat-tat for you, too, because, you know, the pendulum is swinging, as I've been telling you, that it will and has. So, as you know, there is a pile of lawsuits that have been filed against vaccine mandates. And all these workers in various fields across America who were fired because they refused to get the jab, many of them have now filed lawsuits, I told you this was going to happen, against government agencies and corporations who tried to invoke these mandates, where which, by the way, were illegal when done and ruled to be illegal afterwards. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver. And they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Hey, listeners, this is Reed Lance Rosenthal, your host of On the Right Side Radio, and I have a message for you. Do you want a business? Sell a product? Provide a service? Have a message you want to get out? Do you believe in freedom, the Constitution, and America? Here's your opportunity to reach 69 million sets of ears in scores of markets around the country, including five of the top 10 and 15 of the top 50 markets in the United States of America. Very affordable, very flexible, 30 and 60 second packages available. Give your business a boost and help America get the truth. Call Francis at Media Airtime at 602-300-8250, 602-300-8250, or write Francis at MediaAirtime.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S at MediaAirtime.com. Thank you. There are cases now going to the Supreme Court. There's cases going against the cadaver Obama third term administration for their executive order 283, which was better roll up your sleeve or you'll never go anywhere again. And then what's called the New Jersey nurses lawsuit. And while this is all going on, our vaunted, extra special, warm and fuzzy, we care about you and we're professional to the nth degree health services agencies, you know, like the FDA and the CDC and the NIH. They are working around the clock to sweep things under the rug because their withholding, it has now been found out, the most accurate and up-to-date reports concerning theirs, which, by the way, has two and a half million reports filed on the COVID jab. That's death and material adverse impact 
from the jabs. And they say they can't release any more information than the information they've released because, you know, it would violate people's privacy. Don't you know? They're very concerned about that. Greg Piper, Just the News. This is an excerpt of an article of his. Quote, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, that's VAERS, jointly managed by the CDC and the FDA, has a secret back-end privy only to regulators. An FDA official told advocates of VAERS reform nearly a year ago. And then, by the way, this was in a British medical journal investigation, which was published a week ago Friday. The bottom line is, so the public can see the initial reports, folks, but all the corrections, all the updates, like, you know, Joe went in with uh, heartburn and Joe died, or which include, quote, a formal diagnosis, recovery or death, unquote, are off limits. No, can't see those. And anybody who filed a report are not allowed to update the reports in the various systems. And by the way, in studying the COVID mess at VAERS, they also found out that the same thing was happening with gender-affirming care, you know, the administration of gender-affirming drugs. It's so bad that, and they wrote this in the report, quote, patients would have to file Freedom of Information Act requests, this is for their kids, guys, to see the full record of their report. And in really good news, and folks, I told you this was coming. I didn't know who was going to file it. And I didn't know where it was going to be filed, but I told you there was a lawsuit like this coming, and there's going to be a lot more of them around the world. But Ken Paxton, you know the guy, the attorney general down in Texas, who announced he was investigating Pfizer, and suddenly all this nonsense came up, and, you know, uh, the House leader was going to impeach him for this and that and the other, whatever the conjure deal was. You don't think there's any correlation there? I'd love to see the bank account of the top two or three people in the Texas legislature who tried to get Ken Paxton impeached. What do you want to bet? There's some really nice little goodies from Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, etc. somewhere out there on their planet. But Ken Paxton is a tough hombre. And after beating the BS impeachment rap, he just filed what's probably the most important lawsuit of his career for sure. It was filed on December 3rd, just a few days ago. And the press release from his office is, quote, Attorney General Ken Paxson sues Pfizer for misrepresenting COVID-19 vaccine efficacy and conspiring to censor public discourse, unquote. Go, Ken. Go, Texas. By the way, this is Texas's second lawsuit under Paxson against Pfizer. They also have a pending lawsuit against the pharma giant over its ineffective ADHD medicine, which, gah, it's marketed to kids. Who would have thought? And it's marketed through the state's Medicaid program. So here's Pfizer getting paid. Just like they got paid for the COVID jabs by the government, our tax dollars, they're getting paid our tax dollars through Medicaid. Needless to say, the mainstream media has kind of gone off the rails with this lawsuit. I, I wouldn't even bore you with some of the incredible, outrageous, ignorant headlines. But back to the suit, there's two broad kind of tangents of potential pharmaceutical liability when it comes to the jabs. There might be more, but these are the two that are most apparent. One is on safety and one is on efficacy. So if you have, and I'm going to be bringing you some stuff, if not in this ratatat, the next one, some studies on excess deaths, which just came out. But safety includes injuries and deaths caused by defective drugs, except that Pfizer and Big Pharma et al., keep throwing up what's called the PREP Act, P-R-E-P, which is a liability shield against, you know, bad drugs. Basically, they keep all the profits from the bad drugs, and the United States taxpayer has to pay out to victims through the 
theirs and other mediums. But Paxson's lawsuit focuses on Big Pharma's early lies, their false claims about efficacy. Do you remember all that crap? You take this and you won't get COVID. You take this and you can't transmit COVID. Blah, 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 blah. Safe, effective. Total lies. Their research knew it and it's fraud. And of course, every single person who got the jab, whom Pfizer did not tell or inform about these adverse impacts from the jab, is a single count under Texas law. Now, multiply that by millions of people. It's millions of counts. Basically, it's a lawsuit about false advertising, but unfortunately has nothing to do with a bad product. It has to do with people dying or getting disabled for life. So Texas is suing Pfizer and is completely allowed by state law over false advertising for all Texans in Texas, under Texas law. Go Paxton, go Texas. And the five critical components of this complaint, I'm going to just tell you them real quickly because you'll be nodding your head. By the way, all this stuff is going to be posted both on the COVID page, Ratatatat, and of course the COVID litigation page, which I have this feeling is going to be growing by leaps and bounds in the coming months. And wouldn't that be great? Number one, Pfizer falsely claimed its vaccine was 95% effective at preventing infection. And as we know, later studies came out, negative vaccine efficacy. In other words, you were more likely to get COVID if you took a jab. Number two, Pfizer lied that its vaccine provided lasting protection, falsely claiming vaccine-induced immunity was better than natural immunity. (laughs) Well, uh, we kind of found out that wasn't true, and we kind of found out that they knew it wasn't true when they made that lie. Number three, Pfizer falsely claimed that its vaccine stopped viral transmission. Which, you know, led to that whole psyops like, you need to get the jab to protect other people, you know, like grandma and grandpa and the old folks across the street. Number four, Pfizer claimed that the vaccine was, this is a quote now from Pfizer, quote, very, very effective, unquote, against the Delta variant. But Paxson has documents which show that Pfizer's own data, and I brought you this, these studies, folks, it was right in their own clinical data. I told you about this two and a half years ago. Their own data showed that the vaccine performed especially poorly against the original Delta variant, which is the exact opposite of what they represented and what they told people prior to sticking needles in their arms. And then finally, Pfizer told a, let's face it, fearful public that its shots would protect people from dying from COVID. But once again, its own clinical trial data showed more patients, let me underline this, more patients died in the vaccine group than died in the placebo group. In other words, those who didn't have the jab. And that was even after Pfizer manipulated the numbers, all of which caused mandates and the unvaccinated being called dirty people and selfish people and, you know, talk about putting them in concentration camps and the whole nine yards. Remember my prediction, Pfizer will not exist, at least in its current form, in five years. You mark my words. And along these same lines, guess what happened on Sunday, December 3rd? A whole bunch of data from the New Zealand Health Services, we'll get into that in just a moment, was blown wide open, put out in public, not by just any whistleblower, but the guy who was in charge of assembling all this data for the New Zealand Health Services. The guy's name is Barry Young. You're going to hear more about this. The entire video where he goes over this information that basically he's brought to the world that the world has not seen from any other government, the whole video is on the website, rat-a-tat-tat, under the audio bar, and obviously on the COVID page. This stuff coming out is going to put gasoline on these litigation fires against big pharma and governments, which is great. By the way, New Zealand's health service 
you know, the woke outfit that it is. It's called Watu Ora, W-H-A-T-U, new word, capital O-R-A, totally socialized. And supposedly Watu Ora is the Maori language, you know, we got to get the, we got to be inclusive here, folks, which means, quote, the weaving of health, unquote. Oh, really? Just two days after Barry Young sat down for an interview, went over his charts, his graphs, and the information which the government should have been sharing with everybody to begin with, New Zealand arrested him. Now, fortunately for Barry, the lockdown administration is on its way out, and literally in the next couple of weeks, the new anti-lockdown, much more conservative administration is on its way in. And of course, the mainstream press is going crazy. They're coming up with all sorts of crud. This is misinformation, don't you know? And this leaker, quote, had no clinical background or expert vaccine knowledge, unquote. No, he never said he did. He's a statistician. This is simply the math and the facts. You took the jab and somewhere he has all the numbers. You got to watch the video. Somewhere between 4% and 22% of the recipients of that jab died with a big spike in deaths six months after getting the jab. He has it all mapped out. It's all graphed out. More than 2 million health records of those poor people in New Zealand. And by the way, it's New Zealand immediately got a court order from New Zealand court telling everybody to take down this misinformation. And of course, Google did and Facebook did and YouTube did. Oh, yawn, big surprise. But guess what? Substack and Rumble didn't. And it's out there and it's spreading like wildfire. And they're also after the gal who interviewed him, Liz Dunn. She's on the run right now. But anyway, Barry Young was the original Oracle database administrator who set up the Kiwi government's vaccine health system during the pandemic. And he explains in the video, this is specific vaccination records and patients' dates of death. He has it all graphed out. He even has the, sh- the jabs mapped out by batch numbers. Because certain batch numbers, gee, where have we heard this before? Oh, that's right, on the right side radio two years ago. Because different batch numbers have different lethality percentages. Huh. And those batch numbers seem to go to, wow, the more conservative parts of countries or islands. Hmm. Who would have thought? And guess what else the data shows? It doesn't show any reduction in deaths after everybody got jabbed. Gee, isn't that what Pfizer's getting sued for over in Texas? I mean... The release of this information can come at a worse time for the pharma industry, and isn't that grand? By the way, this information has been checked by a whole bunch of experts, including a guy by the name of Professor Norm Fenton. He's a British mathematician, computer scientist, professor of risk at Queen Mary University in London, etc., etc., etc. If, quote, if the data set is real, unbiased and representative subset of those vaccinated, then it is potentially one of the most important publicly available data sets for examining COVID vaccine safety, despite the fundamental limitation imposed by the absence of data on the unvaccinated. It provides stark evidence of lack of safety of the vaccine. Huh. One of the two prongs of Paxton's lawsuit. Anyway, the whole article is posted for you folks. It's, it's worth reading. You're getting t- several viewpoints in the articles, but it's, this, is, this is really a big deal. This is really a big deal. So in the Kiwi mainstream media and vaccine circles panic over the release of this information, which should be public to begin with, they don't deny the leaker was a health system employee. They insist he's not a vaccine expert when he's very clear that he says he's not. He's a database administrator. This is just stats. They don't claim that his data is fake or altered or compromised or misrepresented. So I guess we can assume it's correct. 
And then they accuse Young of spreading misinformation. Gee, and somehow they just can't name what that misinformation is. I mean, it's their own government record simply put in graph form. And the fact that he was arrested in two days after this stuff went out, wow. You know, that's a really quick investigation, don't you think? Do you think anybody was kind of motivated to shut him up just as soon as they could? And, you know, it would be very easy for New Zealand or America to dispel all this stuff, you know, this misinformation. All they have to do is release the records of the unvaccinated during the same time period so that you compare the deaths on the vaccinated side with the deaths or the lack of deaths on the unvaccinated side. Huh, I wonder why they're not releasing that information. And by the way, on the Paxton lawsuit, you're going to love this. The remedies for deceptive trade practice violations, which is what he's going after them for with these tangents, etc., under Texas law is every time Pfizer lied about its effective products. That would mean Pfizer to a doctor. The doctor relaying Pfizer's lie to the patient. I can go on and on. We're talking about millions, millions of times Pfizer broke the law. And the penalties include damages for each and every one of those times, up to and including, oh, I love this, the disgorgement of all of its profits. Hmm, remember what I told you about Pfizer five years from now. What Pfizer? We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, go to OnTheRightSideRadio.com. Click on Show Archives and you'll find all of Reed's shows and a terrific array of informative articles, videos, and reference pages. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of On the Right Side Radio with Reed Lance Rosenthal.